welcome to the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. Our desire is to remain in God's presence, explore His passions, and supply tools that serve and inspire. Um, this thought entered my mind on Easter Sunday, and I felt like God uh, impressed upon me to teach on the ministry of reconciliation. Um, not as, as important as it is between us and Him this way, but also I feel like there's a grace uh, in this season if you would like it, for reconciliation amongst broken relationships. Um, this relationship with God is the number one, but out of a manifestation of that, we are called to be people who live in community, and people who live in healthy relationships. And so today we're going to talk about how to reconcile um, broken relationships uh, with people to the left and the right of us. Amen? I've titled this message, Go Get Peter. Can you say that with me? Go Get Peter. That'll make a sense. That'll make a little more sense in a second. So I'm going to start with Second Corinthians chapter five, verse fourteen through twenty-one. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul. So he says, "For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all. And those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view." Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. Exclamation point there. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And how good is that? So um, let's go to verse 18. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's amazing. He gave us this ministry that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he was committed to us the message of reconciliation. So the whole gospel of Jesus is about reconciliation. Sending Jesus, the birth, him being raised till he was 33 and a half, dying, death, burial, resurrection, the whole thing. I mean, that is a serious plan. There's a lot that went on in that plan. And all of that was to reconcile us back to the Father. So there was a lot of confusion about the nature of God at that time, and Jesus made it really clear, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He perfectly represented the Father. And his main goal was he was reconciling an orphan planet back to the Father. His whole gospel plan was to get the children to back to the Father to understand who the Father was. One of the clearest representations of, of this is when... <coughs> When Jesus died, the veil was torn in the temple. So the way that worked back then, there was only certain prophets who were anointed enough, holy enough, chosen enough to be able to come into the presence of God. Everyone would have to sit outside. So the prophet would go in, they'd get a word, they'd come back out, and they'd tell everybody about what God said. Well, the veil being torn was symbolic of it's no longer for one person, it's for all people. He poured out his spirit on all people, and he reconciled us back to him. Now you and I have full access to walk boldly before our Father. So literally today, we're all experiencing the presence of God now during worship. 
And so much of that is because, not so much, it's because Jesus tore the veil <coughs> and gave us access to be with the Father. But how many of you know, uh, they'll know who we are by how we love one another. So anything that God does to us in our relationship with him, we get the privilege and the required as Christians to turn to the people around us and manifest that same behavior. Why do we forgive other people? Because he forgave us. The things he does to us, we now get to turn and love other people to the left and the right of us and treat them the same way that Christ would treat them. Literally says the gift, the ministry of reconciliation, not holding people's sins against them. I don't even know that's hard. Uh, if you've been hurt in this room by somebody or you have hurt someone justifiably or not being hurt, it's really hard to forgive them. It's really hard to go the next step and actually reconcile relationship with them. It's messy and it takes a lot of intentionality and it takes trust that this is what Jesus wants us to do if we're going to walk in a ministry of reconciliation. Amen? This was such a big deal to Jesus. He did everything that he did. All of this stuff was to reconcile us back to God and then give us the ministry of reconciliation. There's a story in the life of Jesus. It's always been one of my favorite stories. I absolutely love the story. I'm excited that this is what I felt like I was supposed to teach on. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set the stage of the story, and then I'm going to read you the scripture to show you Jesus' heart for reconciliation, Jesus' heart for uh, mending relationships, Jesus' heart for living in healthy community with, with other people. So probably if you're in this room, you've heard about Jesus had 12 apostles or 12 disciples. So he's walking around with these 12 men for, for three to three and a half years. You can imagine the amount of conversations that they've had, the campsite fires, the dinners, the baby dedications, the amount of miracle signs and wonders they've seen. I mean, all of this stuff, the amount of the depth of conversation that we don't get to see in the Bible from these men. Well, he had three specifically that he really held on to, and one of those was Peter. I think it's safe to say that Peter was probably a top three male that was closest to Jesus. So think about the strength of that connection and the strength of that relationship. So much so that Jesus made him the lead apostle you got to think about this. These 12 men are the men that are going to take this gospel to us sitting here today through these 12 men. And he picked one to be the cornerstone of that movement. And it's this guy, Peter. You guys with me? Peter's important. Peter knew everything. He walked with Jesus. They were very, very close friends. Well, Jesus and Peter have this very interesting conversation. Jesus comes to him. He said, hey, Peter, the devil's trying to sift you like wheat. Okay, just stop right there. How many of you might have to go to the bathroom after God's like, hey, the devil's asking for you. Uh, like, can you help me, Jesus? Like, what? Wait, what? He literally says it. He says he's trying to sift you like wheat. He says, but don't worry. I've prayed for you. But after you fall, come back, feed the sheep, take care of the brothers. Okay. First thing what Jesus is doing here. Jesus had decided before his friend hurt his feelings did something negative to him that he was going to reconcile relationship and put him back in the proper position. His behavior didn't didn't dictate Jesus's heart for reconciliation. Let me put it to you this way. The amount that someone hurts you does not dictate whether you should forgive them or not. We are people who are called to live in uh, the ministry of reconciliation. It doesn't matter how much you offend me, how much you hurt me. I may not 
there's extreme situations. I'm just generalizing here, but I may not have to have you in my life all the time, but I will restore forgiveness and I will reconcile the relationship to the healthiest amount that I can do that. And it doesn't matter on their end what they do or what they say. So here's the deal. The people to your left and your right, your friends, your family, your neighbors, they're going to hurt your feelings. Okay? So can we decide now that we will forgive and reconcile? So in a year when someone really hurts your feelings or tomorrow or at lunch today over Easter, your family member that you hadn't seen in a month is going to say something. It's going to frustrate you. And what Jesus is doing here is already reconciled the relationship. What you do doesn't dictate on my end my forgiveness and reconciliation. Isn't that good? It's so good. So Jesus decided in this moment I was going to reconcile my relationship with Peter. He's my bro. All right, so he's going down to, he's going to get killed. And Peter denies Jesus three times. Jesus witnesses this to a small child. You got to imagine their relationship. I mean, think of your best friend for the past five years and him openly, publicly just saying, I'm denying this person. He's not who he is. I'm not friends with him. The pain of that moment between him and Jesus. Okay. So, setting the stage there. Now, I'm going to read this to you. This is Mark 16, verse 1 through 8. Okay. All right. Now, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they brought spices that they might go and anoint Jesus's body very on the first day of the first week after sunrise they were on the way to the tomb and they asked each other who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb but when they looked up they saw that the stone which was very large had been rolled away yea god that was me not verse four as they entered the tomb they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side and they were alarmed <coughs> Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus and that Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Okay, this is verse 7. Here we go. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out from the field, from the, uh, from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The man from heaven in white linen, angel, however you want to view that, a messenger from heaven, said, Jesus isn't here. You've got to catch this. Go get the disciples and go get Peter. They find Peter in a couple chapters later where he had disconnected himself from the disciples. The guilt and the shame on Peter made him isolate from the disciples. The heart of heaven in that moment is, go get the disciples, hey, and go get Peter. This is heaven saying, this is God saying, go reconcile with Peter. This is Jesus saying, I have a broken relationship and I need to reconcile my, my relationship with Peter. There's an issue between me and a brother and I need to go reconcile that issue. Listen, go get Peter. Can you say it with me? Go get Peter. Listen, we all have a Peter. How many of you thought of someone when I said who, Peter? We all have a Peter. And out of the grave, this is, this is so big to me, the first message that is given from an angelic being when they see that the tomb is empty is, go reconcile your relationship with Peter. It wasn't tell the world, tell the nations, watch how awesome God is. Literally, go reconcile a relationship with Peter. Isn't that awesome? Like, this is how relational-based our God is. He thought it was worth reconcile a relationship with Peter. 
he goes, he reconciles his relationship with Peter. I want you to see this. Because of Peter's heart for reconciliation, they both had it, he restored him back to his previous position. Jesus didn't hold it over his head. He didn't put him through years of training. He didn't have 50 counseling sozo sessions, although those are good. He just restored him back to, this is who God has called you to be. Peter, I know you. How you were acting was not you, and I want to restore relationship with you. So my challenge to you today is, and I feel like there's a grace for this, go get Peter. Who is your Peter that you need to reconcile with? This week, six weeks ago, I felt like I was supposed to teach this, and this week I had three different experiences. This was not planned, and I did not form this so I could say it in this moment. I had three different moments, three different conversations of reconciliation this week. So for me, that's just confirmation that God is saying there's a grace for this in, in this season. Go for it. It was two conversations I had. There was a little bit of a broken misunderstanding situation, pretty simple to resolve. <coughs> About six months ago, I was in a situation. It was a business thing, um, not necessarily with the church. And uh, for the sake of protecting everyone involved, I'll just give generalized stuff for it. Um, there was a high level of misunderstanding that I was written about. I was literally like slandered publicly, made fun of for things that were not true. Like 100%, I know me, and they're not true. What these people are saying is not true. It's a business thing. It's a really ugly situation. It wasn't fun. Well, that business, what I, my end, what God kept telling me to do is, you bless those who curse you. Every time you drive past that business, pray for their leadership. Every time you think of that person, I want you to pray for them. That's what we're called to do as believers. They curse us. We don't curse them back. We bless them. Out of the blue, this business owner called Stacy and I this last week reached out and wanted to meet with us on this week just to say, hey, I'm really sorry about all that. I'd like to ask for forgiveness, and I'd like to be in good standing with you guys. I didn't know all that was happening. It wasn't our intention. That is like, isn't that crazy? I didn't ask for that. I didn't do anything for that. It was a very big on his part. But what that was just confirmation for me, I was like, man, that's the third time this week. And while God told me to talk about the ministry of reconciliation, the reason why I say there's a grace for it is this. Some of you have tried to reconcile a relationship. And I don't know about you, but I hit a point a lot of times. I'm like, okay, God, I don't know what else to pray. We just need you. And, like, sometimes you just come through and there's breakthrough in an area and oh my god it worked the person's not mad at me anymore or, or whatever the situation is i'm just really encouraging you in this season as soon as possible reach out to your peter now if you're all part of the same family and y'all have the same peter he might feel a little attacked <laughs> you got to be careful with how much of that anyway it's is the heart of the gospel is to reconcile relationship with people it's messy it's not fun this is not easy to do, but this is what we're called to do. Listen, actually, Micah Ellis, our fearless worship leader over here, said this one time years ago. We grew up together, and he told somebody, he said, you don't have to forgive them, but if you're going to call yourself a Christian, that's what you do. Like, this isn't a choice while being a Christian. So what I'm saying to you today is you actually, if you're going to be an obedient Christian, have to reconcile relationship to what you can control. I'm not, there are situations that you can't control. There are also really toxic situations that you should probably not put yourself back into. You, know, you can just, there's health to what I'm saying. You walk through that with your friends. But I'm just encouraging you to walk through reconciliation. Three keys to reconciliation. Number one, long suffering. 
Uh, we had school. We've done school of ministry the past three years. We didn't do it last year because of uh, COVID, but we'll probably get it back together. We'd meet every Monday night. It'd be 10 to 15 of us. It was awesome. We just go so deep in the word and experiencing God. And I just felt led one night. I said, hey, why don't we just stand in a circle and just out loud, just thank God for something that we're thankful for? Because gratitude is always just the floor posture should be of our hearts. And this one person just goes, Lord, I just thank you for long suffering. I guys, I've been a Christian my whole life. I've heard that a thousand times. It was like a sack of bricks hit me in the chest, started crying. And I thought, that's what God's been teaching me. I see the, my, I'm a former athlete, so my, I love sports. So what I felt like God kept telling me in these broken relationships that I had is stay in the game. This is what I felt he was saying to me. Stay in the game. Don't check out the game. If it's going to break, don't, not, don't let it be because of you. Stay in the game. That's long-suffering. In the kingdom, that's called long-suffering. Me and God's bro conversation, stay in the game. Scripture is long-suffering. I'm going to read these scriptures for you. So Ephesians 4.2, with all lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing with one another in love. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. A fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. If you are going to be a Christian and have the Holy Spirit in your life, then a manifestation of fruit in your life is long-suffering. So listen, some of these reconciliations are going to take a long time. They may take decades, but you can long-suffer. How many of you are like, that's the worst idea ever, and it sounds brutal? But it's true. We only have so much time here on earth, and it's important that we walk through these things with long-suffering and staying in the game. I, I actually, here, here's my definition of suffering in the gospel. There's many of them. This is just for this one context. So suffering, this long suffering, is, is living with truth and knowing what's truth, but it hasn't manifested yet. So what you know is true and what is happening, and now you live in the middle of that tension, that's long suffering. Let me explain that differently. If you are in a relationship with someone and you think it's very easy to fix and you can't understand why it's not working, that's long-suffering. You stay in the game and you walk through that process with them till they're ready to turn their heart. That's long-suffering. The only way you can do that, not on your own strength, is to stay with the Holy Spirit because that's a fruit of the Spirit. A fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. Can I get an amen? Okay, second one is this. Changing your expectations. I uh, heard someone say some one time that expectations was an adult fairy tale. If I have an expectation of someone that they don't have for themselves, I am living in a fairy tale. Listen, if I have an expectation that I need you to be something for my life, but that you don't want it for your life, I'm going to constantly be let down and disappointed. So here's the situation. In your reconciled relationship that you need to have, potentially change your expectation of what that person can be for you. Maybe they don't want to be that. Maybe you have something that you need from them that they can't give you, and you're going to constantly be kicking against the goads if you don't change your expectation. That's a good word. The only way I know how to change my expectations and it not be a weird thing is this. Ask God how they see that person and ask him how God, ask God how he sees the situation. Okay, God, in this situation, how do you see this person? In this situation, what's my lens for you? How do you see the situation? Because on your own, it's not going to work. Asking God, adjust my expectations to what this relationship could be. 
Some of you may have somebody that you love so much and you want to be their best friend and they don't want to be your best friend. Guess what? You got to change your expectations. What if they don't want it? I'm, I know that's somber example. I'm just, you got to change your expectation of what those people have and vice versa. You ever felt when someone has an expectation of you that you're not meeting, but you didn't ask them to put the expectation on you? It's like, whoa, like we're missing each other, not because I don't love you. I just can't meet that expectation. I don't want to live in an adult fairy tale called an expectation. I'd like to talk to you about it and find where that balance is. Amen? All right, the third and final one is this. Mercy triumphs over judgment, which is in James 2. What, in your story towards the people you need to reconcile with, what, how are you judging them? Listen, in the kingdom, mercy triumphs over judgment. There is order to truth in the kingdom. And this is what we do. We think when we judge someone and we don't forgive someone, it makes us powerful, but it actually creates a prison for us. But in the kingdom, what he's saying is mercy triumphs over judgment. It is better for me to show you mercy than to judge you. We want to hear that. I'm going to say that again. It's better to give someone mercy than to judge someone. You feel powerful when you judge them. It does nothing. It's actually in the wrong kingdom. Showing mercy to people is the way that leads to truth. Uh, Another scripture for this, he says, his kindness leads to repentance. Repentance means to change the way you think. So listen, this is is the Bible says this about God. The kindness of God leads to repentance, not his anger. Listen, if you're hearing a voice in your head to change your behavior, that's anger, that's not God. Listen, when you understand, when when he's so good, all these songs we sing, he's so good, he's so kind, he's so filled with love, what does it do? It makes you change your behavior. When I feel like he's judging me and beating me up and all of this guilt and shame stuff that he paid for on the cross, it's very difficult for me to change my behavior. And it's the same way in a reconciled relationship. What are we holding over that person's head? Are we showing mercy? Are we being kind? I'll close with this. Jesus said this. Don't worry about the speck in their eye when you have a log in yours. So when I have a giant log in my eye, I have blind spots. And I can't see. I cannot tell you how much I tell people this. Hey, here's what I'm thinking. Tell me where this feels wrong or where I have a blind spot. I'm opening myself up for your opinion. Here's what I think. Because what? I got a huge log in my eye. I can only see out of one. And you have a speck in yours. And how arrogant of me to want to change your eye before changing mine. One of the greatest, uh, there's a, Christian psychologist, and he says, one of the greatest things you can do is just make your bed. And what he's saying is, look, you can't control other people, but you can control your environment. You, f- you can control you. You control here. You can control your log. I can't control your speck. I'm not going to judge your speck. I'm going to keep my log and work on myself. Can I get an amen? Let me say this with me. Go get Peter. One, two, three. Go get Peter. You can clap. That was yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. All right, well, the band, the band can come back up. Hey, I really do encourage you reach out to somebody. How many of you had a broken relationship that mended and it felt good? That's the that's the ministry of reconciliation.
Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.